We do want to wish all of our fathers happy Father's Day. As it just said there, the the new ones and the old ones. I know we've got a a good number of both in here. I I keep trying to tell myself I'm a new dad. But since none of my kids live at home anymore, it's getting harder to believe that that lie. It does to all you new dads. Boy, it goes quick. Right, old dads? It, it goes so quick, but uh, do want to wish all of you a, a wonderful Father's Day. I want to wish my dad, who's watching, happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, I, I, I say every year, uh, one of the things that's special about for me on Father's Day is I, I became a dad for the first time on Father's Day. And what's unique about this year is this was the actual date. June 16th, 1991, I, I became a father for the first time. And uh, my precious daughter, who's made it so wonderful to be a dad, is here with us today. And uh, first thing she let me know, yeah, happy birthday, Mary Beth. And she let me know right away this morning that birthdays trump Father's Days. So... And that's being a dad, amen. <laughs> so, but uh, do hope it's a wonderful day for all of you. You know, we have kind of a, a unique opportunity here today, and I say unique, you probably could care less, but unique from a preacher angle. You know, preachers come up on, on Father's Day and Mother's Day sometimes with different approaches. There's times I come to Mother's Day and Father's Day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a message to moms, to dads, to honoring some, something like that, right? And then there's other times where we're kind of in the middle of a, of a service, I mean a, a series, and I'll do a quick nod to moms and dads, but then we press on with the series. Well, I think today we can do both. I think we're going to be able to accomplish both things. Today we are in Hosea. Now, if if you're new to our church family, we are uh, going through the whole Bible this year. 42 messages that is going to take us through a study of of the whole Bible. Our life groups are, are going through the same curriculum, the same 42 messages. We're encouraging you, the individual, to read through the Bible this year. Are you still doing that? Okay, good. I know we're about halfway through the year. Stick with it. Get back on it. Keep reading through those scriptures. Well, doing this has brought us today to Hosea. Well, the way God is going to use Hosea, the message of Hosea, is all centered around him being a a husband and a father. So I, I think we can continue in our curriculum and kind of give a shout out there, a little challenge to our, our husbands and fathers on this day. So why don't you go ahead and get started turning to Hosea. It is, I laugh when I say this, it's right after Ezekiel and Daniel and right before Joel and Amos. And I'm guessing there's more than one person here. That does not help one bit. So probably the fastest way to get to Hosea is the table of contents. Find out what page it's on. It's it's kind of buried deep down in there in the Old Testament. And as you're trying to figure out where Hosea is in the Bible, let me share with you a little bit about Hosea, a little background information. So Hosea is a prophet. And, and he is ministering, he is challenging, he is preaching in the, for lack of a better word, the final days of Israel. Now, when I say the, of Israel, remember where we were last week. We looked at Solomon. We saw Solomon's sin. And from that sin, we knew that, that Israel now was going to be divided. 
There's going to be a northern ten tribes, maybe what we would say is a northern ten states in, in the nation of Israel, and then there's going to be a southern kingdom, and, that, and that's one state, Judah. Israel will be called, is, the, the northern tribes will often be called Israel or Ephraim, and, and the southern tribe will be kind of called Judah, because that's the tribe in there. It's called Judah. And so there, there are two different governments, two different nations. Obviously, they have this bond, but, but they have split, and, uh, and, and Hosea is ministering when, when the northern kingdom is about to fail, not, not economically, not, not militarily, not, not in any way like that. The story of, of the northern ten tribes is not a good story. I mean, literally, right out of the gate, when they leave the, the nation, when they leave Solomon and, and his son Rehoboam, who's going to be king of the southern tribe, their kings are just wicked. I mean, bad wicked, bad evil. And as kind of went the king, so went the nation. And so God would warn, and then there'd be grace. God would warn, and then there'd be grace. God would warn, and then there would be grace. And this went on for a couple of centuries it's just this constant failure and unfaithfulness. And so finally God says, okay, there's going to be judgment. Because folks, while it's so hard for us to grasp, that's what love does. Love brings judgment. Love actually draws a line and says enough is enough. There's got to be justice. There's, there's got to be consequences. And so in this case, what's going to happen is a nation called Assyria is going to come in, it's going to defeat the northern tribes, and then it's going to pick all the people up, basically, and exile them out of the nation. And the northern tribes, or that big hunk of Israel, is really going to cease to be as we know it till almost the time of Christ. And a little bit of interest about the way the, the Israel breaks down and the northern and the southern. And of course, you say northern kingdom and southern kingdom. It sounds like they're, they're far away. Israel's about the size of New Jersey. Okay, and this is not a big place. And so we don't want the northern and the southern. They're still very close. So when we think of Jesus, of course, you think of Jerusalem and, and all that goes on there. Jerusalem is in Judah. So Jerusalem's in what would have been the southern kingdom. But a lot of Jesus' life is lived. A lot of his ministry is in the northern kingdom. You may, may in the New Testament remember cities like Nazareth or Capernaum or the Sea of Galilee. That's all in what would have been the, the northern kingdom. And so Hosea is ministering as Assyria is about to come in, as about, as this judgment is about to happen. And, and his ministry is taking place from 755 BC to 710 BC. So this is about 200, 150, 200 years after Solomon. After where we were last week, we've now come a couple of centuries and, and this is Hosea and, and he is preaching to these people. And you know, it's kind of sad. I mean, he's going to, I mean, you just heard the dates there. He's going to serve for 45 years and really at the end of his ministry, he watches it all fail. Imagine pouring 45 years into something and when it's all said and done, it, it didn't work. No, nobody turned, and he's going to watch the end of those, those northern ten tribes. So let's learn what his story is about. I, I trust you've gotten to Hosea chapter 1, and uh, I'm reading today from the New Living Translation, Hosea chapter 
1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, the son of Barai, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, was the king of Israel, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And a lot of the prophets' messages will begin this way. It'll tell you who was king or kings in the north, who was king or kings in the south. By the way, this is extremely helpful for dating. I mean, it really helps us date and understand the events and the, and the timeline when these kings are constantly being mentioned. Verse 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Probably didn't see that coming today, did you? Not your normal command in scripture. <laughs> go and marry a prostitute. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate. Now this next line is very important. This is obviously a very bizarre command uh, for God to give somebody. And he immediately explains, here's why I'm going to have you do this, Hosea. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, not loved. Some of your translations may say no mercy. Now in the English language, that sounds like two very different words, right? Mercy, love, which one is it? Are they in disagreement here about what the word is? No, actually in the Hebrew, it's the same word. It is the word for love. But the word for loved used here kind of has an eye toward a love that shows mercy, a a, a love that gives forgiveness. It's focused on that aspect of what love does in this, in giving forgiveness, in giving mercy. And this translation goes on to explain that when it says, name your daughter Lohurama, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. Here's what a lack of love is going to mean. It's a lack of forgiveness. It's a a lack of mercy. Now, he's already told him, you know, go marry this prostitute. Now he says, hey, name your your little girl not not loved. Can you imagine that? You know, you're pushing her through the park. I mean, he's like, oh, what a cute little baby. And what's the next question? What's her name? Not loved. Oh, okay, you're a weirdo. And you start back in. This is the life that Hosea is living here. Verse 7. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies. Not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers. But by my power as the Lord their God. And go, after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah. She again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said name him Lo-Ami. Not my people. These are some strange names, Lord. <laughs> For Israel is not my people, and I'm not their God. So this is God in his love, bringing judgment, bringing justice. But watch what happens immediately in verse 10. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore. Too many to count. 
Then at that place where you were told you are not my people, it will be said you are children of the living God. You know, folks, the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in bringing judgment. What he wants us to experience is not the feeling of not belonging to him. He says, man, it's going to be more than you're my people. You're going to be my children. You're you're going to be children of the living God. And then it says, uh, yet, uh, verse 11, then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves. So now God's prophesying this whole division of nation is going to, is going to end. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God again will plant his people in his land. In that day, you will call your brothers Ami. Now it's going to become my people, and you will call your sisters Ruhamah, the ones I loved. Now turn over to chapter 3. Now something pretty significant happens between 1 and 3. Homer goes and marries this prostitute, but man, they're having children and things are going well, right up to the point that Gomer leaves. She returns to prostitution. And God told Hosea, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna, she's going to return to prostitution. And look, look what he says. In her prostitution, she actually ends up in the slave trade. And so look what, what Hosea has to do. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate. You know, if I'm Hosea about this time, I'm saying, Lord, I'm getting kind of done being an illustration. Could, could we do this another way? <laughs> This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I, look at this word, I bought. This isn't just having to forgive and take her back. I I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution during this time. You will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and, and of his goodness. So we've obviously got a story here. There's a lot about names, right? Give this person this name, and this is what this name means, and it's an act of prophecy. But I want to give you one more name and, and tell you what it means, and it's the name at the top of the book, the, the name Hosea. So, you know, a lot of times names have connections, right? Like, I'm, I'm Randy, but you probably know Randy's not what's on my birth certificate, Right? You probably assume, oh, I bet your real name, your full name is Randall, you know, or maybe Randolph, right? I mean, we know Randy, Randolph, Randall, that's all the same name. I mean, different words, different spellings, but it's all exactly pretty much the same name, Randy, Randolph, Randall. Same with Hosea, Hosea, Joshua, Jesus, they're all the same name. All, all those three names all go exactly together. Anybody that would have heard those names go, they're all, they're all the same name. And they had a meeting. And that meaning was salvation. 
That, that's what's written at the top of this chapter 1 that we just read. Salvation. And there's something very important being communicated about salvation in Hosea. And that is that our salvation is entirely dependent upon the faithful love of God. I don't actually anticipate that being news for most of this crowd or out at our Midlothian campus. While anybody watching online, I'm assuming most well, sure, yeah. But do we actually grasp that? Do, do we realize my, my only chance of rising up out of sin, out of death, out of hell, my only chance for that is the faithful, pursuing love of God. It is absolutely nothing about me. Not what I am, not what I hope to be, not what I try to be. It is the faithful love of God that pursues us. And Hosea's life is being used as an illustration to show that to, the, to Israel, to these ten northern tribes. And to develop this story, God comes to Hosea with a very odd, very different request. Go and marry this prostitute. And this is going to be a picture of, of God coming, his love coming to somebody who's not worthy, not deserving. You haven't done anything that, that demands or requires God's love and pursuit. Go and, and marry this prostitute. And by the way, she's going to leave you. And you're going to go and, and you're going to buy her back. Man, Gomer didn't deserve that. And Hosea came and he, he gave her, you realize, I mean, with marriage and with children, now she's got a standing in the community. She has respect in the, in the community. She has a, a livelihood that is respectable. And, and, and Hosea has given, just given that to her. And what does she do? She leaves and returns. Why? How? Why would you, in our minds it kind of boggles, but does it make any sense that you and I have been loved by God, so faithfully loved by God, and then we go back to our sin? And then God says, you're going you're to have to go and buy her back. Do you realize how much more this is than saying, it's not like God came and said, give her a second chance. Right? That's the right thing to do. Give her a second chance. Love her. Forgive her. But you know, giving somebody a second chance almost kind of implies, right? That, that, that they came crawling back. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm bad. I shouldn't have done that. I know I, I wronged you. Would, you. would you give me a second chance? I mean, we might be a little put out if we were Hosea and God said, give her a second chance. But this is so much more than a second chance. Gomer isn't crawling back. Gomer isn't sorry. We don't know that there's any real potential that she's going to change. And God says, go get her. You did not find God. He pursued you. He came after you. He found you and he bought you. It's at his cost. It was at a Hosea's cost that that relationship was restored. Now you look at that and say, okay, I, I get the illustration, but how did that act, what did that actually look like unfolding in, in, in the nation of Israel? You know, the best way to understand this story is to know that the people then are no different than people right now. You, you, ever, you ever watched a friend of yours being taken advantage of? Yeah, I mean, high school, college, some, sometimes at work. You know, we go and say, man, you know... 
do you know what's going on behind your back? Hey, do you know what they're, they're saying? You know, we kind of hurt for our friend, right? We, we feel for them. Hey, man, you, you, you need to do something here. You kind of need to draw a line. You're, you're being made a fool of. Do you know we're all watching and, and we all know that? You know, Hosea is, is very well known. He's known throughout the nation. He's known throughout these, these ten tribes. He would have had friends. There would have been many strangers and, of course, enemies. And this is a lot of fun for the enemies, isn't it? Hey, hey, Hosea, how's Gomer? How's things going? When's your anniversary? You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, here's a prophet. They don't like him. They don't like his message. Now his marriage is giving them an opportunity just to, to mock him and, and make fun of him. But do you realize as Hosea has a cup of coffee with friends as he walks through town and gets jeered at by enemies. Whoever is coming at him saying, man, come on, do you know what's going on here? Do you realize to every single person he responds this way, that's God's love for you. Hey, man, don't you realize what's happening? That's God's love for you. Hey, Jose, hey, what you're watching, that's God's love for you. To every single person, they're all watching what's... I mean, we all, we all do it. We watch what's going on in the office, in the neighborhood, with our friends. Hey, man, that's God's love. You see, in this story, I'm God and you're, the, you're my wife. You're, you're, you're the one you're making fun of right here. This is God's love for you. Folks, obviously, it's a story a little bit meant to, to kind of overwhelm us with the faithful love of God, Right? Maybe more than overwhelm us with the faithful love of God. Maybe it's to humble us and and convict us. Because this story is also communicating how God feels our sin. And if you're like me, way too often I'm downplaying my sin. Oh, my sin's small. My sin's... I mean, I'm, I know God don't do it, but it, you, you, we're constantly downplaying. God says, no, you know, I'll tell you exactly what your sin makes me feel like. It makes me feel like somebody that's being cheated on. Every time you sin, I feel, I feel betrayed. When God would rightly walk away, he comes after us. Do you realize that would be the right and just thing for God to do, to walk away? Did you know that you would walk away from you? You, if you were God, would walk away from you being you. But God doesn't walk away. His love does not quit. And so that's a... That's an overview of Hosea, especially the narrative part that I gave you in chapters 1 and 3. But, but I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to hear God speak now of what he's trying to teach in this story. And, and, if, and if you've got your Bible open, turn to chapter 11. And next to these verses, you might want to star them and write key passage or, or central verse. I think this is kind of the, the center of what is being communicated in Hosea, verses 7 to 9 there. It says, for my people are determined to desert me. You know, I would never describe myself as determined to sin. Would you? I mean, I, I, I know I shouldn't sin. I know I don't want to do that. I feel bad about it. I'm saying I'm sorry. I would never sin. No, I, hey, when I leave here today, I am determined to sin. No, I wouldn't say that of myself. But how do you think God sees it? 
You, you realize you can't, you and I can't even, how many times can somebody offend you before you say, that's it, I'm done with this, man. Would it even be 10 times? If somebody, if somebody betrayed you, sinned against you the same way, 10 times in a row, when, when would you say enough's enough? Do you, do you realize how many times you've sinned against God? 10,000 times 10,000? We, we leave here, oh God, I, I, well, we say it right there. They call me most high, but they don't truly honor me. We, we've gathered, maybe we're going to go right back. And I mean, hey, we can have a day where we don't sin. But what's more often? What's more common? You know, sometimes we're so caught up in our own sin, we don't even know we're sinning. We don't even acknowledge how we're deserting God. We don't even know to say we're sorry for it. So no wonder God looks at it and says, you guys are determined. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? Because that would be the right thing. The right thing for God to do would be to let Israel go, to let you go, to let judgment come. That would be the right thing. Do you realize what is being communicated there is the exact opposite of the way we think of ourselves? We think God owes us heaven. So I don't think that. Sure you do. You absolutely do. As a matter of fact, I bet some of you have heard of somebody say or a friend say, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to believe in a God that sends people to hell. And you and I don't have a response. I don't know. It is kind of hard to think about, man, God sending people to why, why do we have a hard time thinking about God sending people to hell? Because it's wrong. It's wrong for God to do that. I know I'm not perfect, but we're all basically pretty good people. He owes us. He owes us a chance at heaven. He owes us that spot. You see, the problem with thinking that we're owed is that we don't appreciate it when God actually gives. And that's why we return right back to our sin. See, our thing today is God owes me this. I don't want a God who would do that. And so we don't appreciate that when he would rightly walk away from us, he is saying, my heart's torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God and not a mere mortal. I'm the Holy One living among you and I will not come to destroy You know, folks, what God wants us to experience is his faithful love, not his righteous anger. But if we demand his righteous anger, because that's what love and justice does. If we demand it, he'll bring it. But even as he brings it, it's his faithful love that he wants you and I to live in. It's his faithful love that he wants us to enjoy. Hosea, go back and get her. You buy her back. You pay for that relationship to be restored. So that's kind of the, the, the broad brush stroke, the, 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 the picture uh, of what is happening here in Hosea. But, you know, when I think when we look at this book, understanding the story, it all comes back to that request. Hey, I want you to, I want you to go marry a prostitute. That's a different request. As a matter of fact, I would say, folks, in the 1,500 years that the Bible covers, 1,500-year time span, there's probably not more than three of those kinds of really God coming from deep left field to ask somebody to do something that just really is like, what? That doesn't sound... About three times. So don't sit here today and think, I think God's calling me to do something like that. Probably not. Probably not. 
That's not, not his normal way uh, of working. But you, you look at that, and maybe instead of parsing and trying to break down what all God is doing there and why he would ask that, is just simply to ask ourselves this question. Is my life available to God to use as he will? Is my life available to God to, to communicate a message of the gospel to the world around me, to the audience that is watching me. My, my, again, my assumption is that in this room, many of us would say, oh yeah, right? Wouldn't we? I would, I mean, we want it to be. Yeah, Lord, I, I want my life to be available to you. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you cancer. It's going to be pretty bad. I, it's it's going to take you right out. You're going to feel like you're in hell. You know, here's what I'm going to do with you. I, I'm going to going to take you, take you through a really significant season of, of rejection and loneliness. Hey, here, here's the way I want to use you. I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you fired and it's going to be incredibly unfair. I mean, everybody watching knows that you were, were, you know, as I kind of describes these ways that God might use us, don't you a little bit go, God wouldn't, he wouldn't actually do that. Would, why, why wouldn't he? Why, why wouldn't he do that? You know, and I know for you and I, all we can feel is this life and this world we live in. And so my happiness is right here and right now. And we've kind of painted God into this corner where the only reason for the existence of God is my happiness. He's to protect me. He's to help me. He's to provide for me. He's to take care of all the people I don't like. That's the only reason God is up there is to make me happy. And if he's not making me happy, then what's the point of God? Maybe more than that. Yes, God actually would use our lives to affect the eternal destiny of somebody else. The, the people around us that are, that are watching. He has our eternity covered. Right? I mean, it's just pure reward. It's just pure gift. And it's like forever and ever and ever. So would he say, hey, could I use you this way for like two minutes? Now, it doesn't feel like two minutes, does it? Not right now. But when we step into eternity, we're going to realize, hey, could I use you this way for two minutes? Well, but still, why would God use Because there are millions of people out there going through cancer. Because there are millions of people out there who have been treated unfair. Because there are millions of people out there that are lonely and rejected. I need you to show them what it looks like to follow Christ through that. I need you to show them what it looks like to hold on to God when everything inside you is saying, let go of God. I need you. You're, what did the word use here? You're the illustration. You're the picture that it can be done. You know what, folks? Honestly, I don't think it's wrong to say, Lord, I'd prefer not to be used that way. I don't think it's wrong to say that. Nowhere does it say, God, could you give me one of those really bad things? But there's a readiness there's a readiness. My, my life is yours to be used as you will. Now, that's an issue. That's a question we've got to work through, whether we're male or female, parent or, or not a parent. But, I, you know, on this Father's Day, I don't think it should be lost on us that the place God came and did this was with a, a husband and a father. All I need you to do is be like me as a husband and as a father, and this story will tell itself. Man, what a challenge for us as, as dads. 
say, well, I don't have the audience that, that Hosea has. I'm not, I'm not going to be a dad or a husband you know, for a watching nation. No, probably not. But you have an audience. You have neighbors. You have friends. You have coworkers. Hey, men, you know what? You never have a smaller audience than your wife and your children. What if the way that we honored, not ourselves, but we honored the position, the position of husband, the the position of father, the way we honored that was a devotion and a commitment to take on those positions with a love that does not quit. Boy, I almost feel like that launches into a whole other message that I don't have time for now because we have such a useless definition of the word love in America. Saying a love that doesn't quit in America means I'm just going to stand here and I'm just going to applaud you wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, whatever you think. I'm just going to applaud you because that's love. Love just applauds you and affirms you and thinks you're wonderful, whatever you're... Oh, right as you walk off that cliff. Oh, I love you. You know, God's love doesn't let us walk off a cliff. As a matter of fact, God says that it is his love that moves him to discipline us. Why? So that we don't walk off the cliff. Man, sometimes it's hard sorting through and figuring out what love does and what it does in this moment. But you know what? At the end of the day, dads, it doesn't quit. Man, that can seem a little bit daunting to say, what, I'm supposed to show the love of God to my my wife and children? I, 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 I would imagine some of us feel a little bit unworthy to do that. Unable. I'm not even sure what that means or what I would do. I'm confident that in this room watching right now, there there are some dads that are saying, you know, I'm a little bit down the road in this fathering thing, and I'm pretty sure I'm disqualified. I'm pretty sure my children aren't looking at me to discover the love of God. You're never disqualified. God's faithful love pursues you right up to this day. You're not disqualified. You start right now showing them a love that doesn't quit. Well, how am I going to show them a love that doesn't quit? By responding in humility and repentance to God's love for you that never quit. And then picking up and showing the love that didn't quit for you to somebody else. And you just start. It might take a while. Oh, dads, that the world... That the nation would just watch us be a husband and a dad and want God. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we want to be used by you. Lord, coming out of Jose, it's a little bit nervous to pray that, but we, we want to be used by you. And we trust that you're good. And whatever you call us to do, you will enable us to do. Lord, I want my friends. I want my co-workers. I want my neighbors. God, I want my kids. I want my grandkids to see a love that does not quit. Because that's what I've been able to enjoy from my heavenly father. A love that never quit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.